words from the hills, reconfigure your life, change your heart, and prepare you for all that God has destined you to be. Welcome to the Hills Church. When Pimo asked me to speak, and he said I should speak after um, Pastor Damola, and I knew that Pastor Damola was speaking on John 2, I went to John 2 and I was reading it, and there, was, there were three verses that God was highlighting to me. He highlighted John 2, 6 to 8, those three verses. And I was just asking the Holy Spirit, why are these verses the ones that are particularly being highlighted? And I read it. So this is what it says. Now there were set there six water pots of stone according to the manner of purification of the Jews containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. Jesus said to them, we saw that in the drama. He said, fill the pots with water. And they filled them to the brim. And he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. And the Lord started speaking to me about it and said that many times we look, we look at miracles. We look at what is happening in, in a miracle. We look at the end of a miracle, but we don't see the obedience of the people in the miracle. Do you know that a lot of times we concentrate on Mary, we concentrate on Jesus, but what about those servants? What about those servants and what they did? And many times, I'm a, I'm a student of history, I love history, and when I go to those cathedrals in the world, and I, I go and I look and I see how those buildings were built, and I think these people did not have equipment at that time. They did not have anything. They did not have what we have now. They did not, and they built things that were so intricate. Craftsmen after craftsmen, all those stained glasses, all those things were built by people that did not have half as much as what we have now. And that's what I saw in those servants. That those servants, they did not have running water in those days. But yet, they filled it. So um, with, with my mat, when you look at 30 gallons, 30 gallons is approximately 114 liters of water. So imagine that, 114 multiplied by six. 684 liters of water. And if we want to visualize it in today's um, way, we'll look at it like, okay, 57 cartons of Nestle water. Or if we want to look at it, we see where 36 bottles of those dispenser water. And with no running water, where did they have to go to? They went to the well. So these servants obeyed something that looked almost that looked impossible. They went and they, were, they had to go out of the house fetching can you imagine how long that took for them to fetch water, to come one by one? And I can imagine they're called Isaac and David in my head. I imagine they're called Isaac and David or there's a John there. And they, they, were, they could have been arguing amongst themselves. They could have been going, no, we can't do this. What's this man telling us to do? Fill this 700 liters of water. But yet they obeyed. They obeyed. And they did it together. If they were not together in what they were doing, it would have been impossible for those jars to have been filled. They did it together. So what the Lord has asked me to speak about is about the bond and togetherness of, of Ecclesia Hill, of families going forward. Many times when we look at miracles, we don't see that there's something that needs to be. There's a glue that needs to put us together for us to have that miracle. So my text is drawn from the book of um, Philippians. And um, before I go to my main 
text, which is, um, oh yeah, the title. I forgot to tell you about my title. I stole from one of Pimo's and series. I went into spiritual intelligence and pulled out these two characters in Philippians 4. Euadia and Sinteki. And same mind. So um, th their names are found in Philippians 4. And many times when we look at the book of Philippians, a lot of us talk about Philippians and we think about it as the book of joy. Rejoice, joy, joy, joy. So when we want to go and read Philippians, we, 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 we think about joy and that's all we think that Philippians is all about. But what, when you go through Philippians carefully, you notice that Paul was talking about unity a lot. He was using the phrase same mind. He was using the phrase be one, one accord. He used this several times. If we look through Philippians 1.27, he said, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. In Philippians 2, he really went to town with unity there. He spoke about us being like-minded. He said having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. He talked about us being not, doing nothing out of self-ambition. Anything, don't be conceited. Rather, think about others before you think about yourself. Looking for others' interests before yours. Then later on in Philippians said that all these your accolades, all this your status, all this your pedigree, they mean nothing. They are nothing. The only thing of value is to know Christ. He then goes on to share about what we need to do is to fulfill our call in God. Everything else is a waste of time. He said that we must be on, of the same mind. And then he goes on even in verse 20, he calls us citizens of heaven. Does that sound familiar? One of the sermons that have stood out in my mind in this season that uh, Pastor, um, Pastor Mo has preached is living in the light of eternity. In other words, we're citizens of heaven and we live in the light of eternity. And our pattern is the pattern of Christ. So we'll go to the main text, Philippians 4. He spoke here, he said, Therefore, my beloved, and longed for brethren, my joy and my crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. I employ Yodia and I employ Sinteki to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Um, another version that, he, um, it's, that I thought was very important to highlight what it is was the TPT version which says that, and I plead with you, Yodia and Sinteki, to settle their disagreement and be restored with one mind in our Lord. I would like my dear friend, Burden Bearer, to help resolve this issue. For both women have diligently labored with me for the prize and helped in spreading the revelation of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers. All of their names are written in the book of life. Paul was writing the book of Philippians in prison. So can you imagine that he must have thought it was so important for him to speak to these people about this disagreement. A lot of theologians uh, have argued about it. They've used this verse to talk about women's rights and different things. But one thing is clear, there was a disagreement and Paul was bothered about it. 
if we look at it, he was saying that, look, you are my joy. He took the time to tell them, you are my crown. I've labored for you. This church is a church that I'm proud of. A lot of these letters are usually read out in public. So for him to mention the name of the women, there must be something that was going on. And he was saying, unity is important. You must be of same mind. And this is um, um, Paul that we all know that is hot-headed and is not the, uh, sometimes he, he always said he had a thorn in the flesh. I would sometimes think that he had a temper, but we don't know what that thorn in the flesh was. But this is Paul, the same time Paul in Galatians had called out Peter in public. Paul in, in, the, in the book of Acts had such a strong argument that he parted ways with Barnabas. This is the same Paul that is talking about this issue. So he must think that it must be important for him to bring it up. Why was he saying this? He was saying, get a grip on this problem. This is a cancer that could destroy us if it comes into the church. You know, a lot of us here, we've been there as Christians and we look at this modern day, we look at what is happening now. There's so many Twitter wars. There's a lot of things going on. People that should know better are talking to each other against each other and Christians against Christians and the world outside is seeing it. And Paul is saying, let's get a grip of this. This is not the one thing. This is not the important thing. These are petty arguments. Let's stay the course. There's something we need to do. We must be of one mind. It's the same thing as the miracle they just said. If they were not of one mind to deliver that miracle, how would they have delivered that miracle? He was saying, let's be of one mind. Let's be on phrenio, which is the Greek word for it. To be the same, to be together, to be harmonious. That is what it means. And there are other times he said it in the Bible. And Paul just emphasizes it all the time. He talks about unity. He talks about living. Even the, um, the last book in um, Corinthians that he was speaking about, he, when he was bidding the brethren farewell, he said, brothers, be complete, be complete. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And this is what the Lord is having me to say to us today. We have really labored as a church. There's been so much that we've done this year. We've had a word conference. We've had business meetings. We've had more prayer meetings. We've had a lot of things going on. And there's so much that is happening in our church. We're bursting out of the seams. You can see like sometimes we all have to get up for other people. And we're growing as a church. And this is what happens when people are in one accord. And the Lord is saying that being in one accord, being of same mind is so important. In, in the Bible, there are many times that it's been mentioned of being one accord, being of same mind. In Genesis 11, even God recognizes that. When they were building the Tower of Babel, it was like, oh, 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 look at these people. They're speaking one language. <laughs> if we let them go, there's nothing, there's nothing that will be withheld from them. And so many times in the book, in, in Matthew, and then when Jesus was talking, he was saying that, ask anything. If you agree anything on earth, when two or three are gathered in my name, and I'm in their midst, I will grant their request. So being of one mind is so important. The most um, famous part of the Bible that we talk about being in one accord is the book of Acts. In Acts, many times we focus, and Pimo stole this thing from me when he spoke, when he posted the other day, because I was like, Pimo, are you reading my notes? Like, it was in, in one accord. Many times when we think of that in one accord, in the upper room, when Jesus said, wait for me, we think they're just praying there. It's not just prayer that will get us where we're going to. We must be in one mind. We must 
be, have the mind of Christ. We must think the same. We must be our brother's keepers. We cannot just say we're praying if we have resentment in our hearts, if we have unforgiveness in our hearts, if we envy the next man, if we are not helping the next man. This is what Christ, when Paul was saying, you people, we've built this church We've built this church. This church, you are my joy. I love you. You are my crown. But you must be of one mind. In contrast, we have in, in the book of Matthew, when he talks about a kingdom, a city, a community divided against itself cannot stand. Um, I, I'm sorry I'm bringing such a stark me message after the praying, but it's, we need to have this message. As much as we are praying, as much as we are going on, there's something that, the, that we have an enemy. We have an enemy that is looking at us, that is looking at us and saying that these people, they have one mind. There must be something I must do because there's nothing, there's nothing that God won't give them if they are this one-minded. We have that. Even it was so important to Jesus as well. When he was on earth, one of the, um, I love the book of John. And when I read the physical Bible, now you have um, 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 online Bibles and you look at it and you see the, everything in red. John 17 was mostly in red because it was Jesus praying just because, before he went to the garden of Gethsemane. And he was saying, Father, he looked up to heaven and he prayed. And the thrust of the prayer is he was praying for himself. Of course, he was in anguish. He was human. He was like, oh, I'm going to do this, Father. And then he was praying for the believer and then he also prayed he prayed for people and he said that they may be one as I am one that is what is important being one as I am one so if we go back to um, Yodia and Sinteki, Paul had built this church he was proud of, but he felt that everything that they had built was being threatened by this disagreement. Paul was in prison. So for him to send this message to people, he knew that it was important to stop it, to nip it in the bud, whatever was causing the disagreement. So, and then we then, then started... I started thinking about what is happening these days and a lot of things that are happening and the plot of the devil. As then Pastor Damola said, the devil is a liar. He has no new tricks, but he can use us against ourselves. So we have the, the there are six Ds here um, that the devil does. There's the um, distractions, but I'm going to focus mainly on, on division. But the distraction is, is to take your focus off what does said the Lord. What did God say for me? God said, I am fruitful, and, but I don't have this child. He's distracting you from what it is. Then he'll make you doubt what God said as well. God said, I'm going to marry this year, but huh, there are no guys. All the guys are dead. But what is the promise of God for you? He will discourage you. He will make you focus on the problem rather than focus of, on God's word. He will make you feel defeated. You'll be so overwhelmed and tired before you even think about the problem. That's what the devil does. He will deceive you. He will make you question the truth. He will make you believe a lie. I am weak. Who says you are weak? I am strong. I'm more than a conqueror. That's what the Bible says. I am victorious. That's what the Bible says. You are not weak. And that's what the devil will say. He will make you feel so defeated. He will make you deceive you so much. You will say, didn't God say? You'll be thinking, no, 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 no. This is what God says. But you know, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. That is who we serve. We serve Jesus. So the one I wanted to concentrate on was division. 
And because we've done so much as, as a church, the Lord was highlighting to me this problem. Like, you know, it, the devil does not have any new tricks, as I said. He will not, you, he, he will not, he will use you against yourself. He will use you to tear each other apart. And we must be mindful of this as we go towards 2024. Even this message that I'm, I'm, I'm preaching, I'm preaching to myself and I'm also preaching not just for the church, because family also, we can see what is happening now. Marriages are being torn apart. Siblings are going against siblings. Parents are going against children, children against parents. They are suing each other. The world is just so many crazy things we hear every day. And there's a devil that is at work because he knows the end is near. He knows his time is up. He knows, he knows that if he could get a united church, <laughs> there's nothing that is impossible for us. So many times we have divisions. You have things like, I was thinking about church, what we could say. Sometimes people think, oh, this service is too long. Why do we have to stay till 12? You know, complaining about different things. You guys are too spiritual. And, you know, many things that could be used to defeat, defeat us. You could look at somebody and look at, ah, Chinwe, I love her gifts. You know, by the way, if I use anybody as an example, it's not really them. It's like, you know, like, like Law and Order says, like, this is like based on fictional characters. So but I, there are people that I can see that I call on. And he could say that, oh, like, look at her. Wait, Pimo likes to have too many meetings. I don't like him. You know, there are things that the devil would suggest to us many times. I don't like the music they play in church. It's too white. White music. They're jumping, jumping, jumping all the time. There are many things that the devil could suggest and people would decide that they want to leave church. They'll be gossiping about each other. You'll find something to say with someone murmuring, backbiting all the time. And you know, in an army, soldiers know that if you want to defeat an enemy, just divide them. And we are soldiers of Christ and we cannot be divided. The church is made up of many people. We're made up of different people. We come from different experiences. We come with different backgrounds. But what Paul is saying here is, in spite of your background, in spite of your experiences, let us be of same mind. Let us have the mind of Christ. Let us focus on Jesus. Let us focus on who is the author and finisher of our faith. Even in Proverbs, it talks about, and many times, there are just so many times to emphasize what it talks about, that the work of the Lord is larger than petty differences. It talks about, in Proverbs 6, it mentions that six things that God hates. There's seven things. And the last one is particularly, it says he, he hates the one who sows discord among brethren. And that is what God is saying. So what am I saying here? We're living in a crazy world. There's so many things that are happening. But what we need to do is, I'm so glad that a lot of the ministration has spoken about what we're saying. Focus on Jesus. Focus on Christ. Set aside our differences. Set aside everything. There's only one person that matters. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Having the same mind. Having the same purpose, unity of spirit, unity of purpose in the midst of it all. As we grow as a church, as we grow as a community, we must be mindful of this. There's so many things that God is doing. The harvest, the harvest, the harvest is ripe. The laborers are free. And the Lord of the harvest wants everybody on board. So we must do whatever we can to stand firm do what we can to stay the course and to help ourselves stay on the course. Many times if anybody's saying, oh, remember Jesus. Remember Jesus. 
Remember, what would Jesus do? Stand shoulder to shoulder in this fight against the enemy of our soul. We must keep our hands on the prize. Um, there's this um, testimony that I'm sure a number of us have watched, and it just draws this point to mind. It's on Prayer Storm TV. It's this ex-Satanist, and, and there's this part that he spoke about that I could never let go of. He spoke about this small church in Uganda with no towels, with nothing. 20 people decided, they proposed in their mind in one accord, we're going to stay, we're going to pray for six hours a day for 90 days. And they started praying. And they started praying. They got to day 40. And Satan was like, <laughs> something is happening here. So they called their, their head of the region in Uganda to their headquarters and said that there's something happening in your region. Don't you know? Because by day 40, 7,000 churches all over the world have started reviving. Things were happening. I said, you must stop them. And what did they do? They gave him a dossier, which is what um, Satan, he knows us. He knows us. They gave him all the things on everybody. They said to everybody, this is what this man is about. The pastor loves money. This woman has unforgiveness in her heart. There's resentment in some, this person is bitter. And that's what the devil will use against us. At the end of that story, it's a long story. By the end of it, they managed to stop that church. Two days to day 90. And it was said that if they had continued and finished to day 90, there would have been 70 years of revival on earth. But they stopped that church. So God is saying, don't let the enemy stop us. We must go on with one accord. The enemy just does easy things just to tear us apart. He starts from the home. He tears husband against wife. He tears children against um, parents. He starts tearing apart. He tears communities. And that's what he's doing. We must keep praying for one another. We must keep looking out for one another. We must be patient with one another. We must love one another. We must build each other up. Build each other up. Seek what is good. Seek what is right. Seek what is noble about everybody. Look for what is good in everybody. Disunity is something that could go against the gospel of Christ. And as we are growing, we must remember, just like, you know, when people go from big cities and they go from um, villages to big cities, they get too excited and they forget. We must not forget. It's about the gospel. It's about Christ. As we're expanding, we must not forget it is about Christ. We must have that same mind. We must keep our eyes focused on the cross. It is about Christ who emptied himself of all divinity to come and die for people that did not deserve it. We must think about that all the time. There's a story, many times Napoleon speaks a lot about, uh, like tells a lot of tales, but I'm always like studying history and like to, like to listen to some things. And there's a Napoleonic um, tale that he talks about when he says that during the war, there was, um, there, there were an, um, enemies were advancing on ice and he was looking at them on ice and he was saying to them that, Oh, they're advancing. He was shooting, you know, he was shooting, trying to shoot towards them. The cannonballs were just going on ice. Nothing was happening. And Napoleon thinks he's a genius. He said, he had a genius idea. And he just said, fire upwards. And that is what we must remember every time. Fire upwards. Focus on Jesus. When he fired upwards, the cannonballs went up and they came 
crashing on the ice and they broke the ice and that's how they stopped the enemy from advancing. This is what we must do. Fire upwards. Remember that every single time distractions come, every single time doubts come, every single time the devil tries to deceive you, fire upwards. Focus on Christ. That's what we need to do. So we're, um, um, and, and just to finish, because this is, um, where we've taken enough of your time, but um, a few months ago, um, Pimo, Pimo, um, introduced a song called Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. And I love history. And every time I will always find the meaning behind a song, why somebody wrote a song, why somebody, I can research anything. I will always go and just research. And with the song Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus, I went to go and research it. And it just really emphasized this unity. This song was written by a lady called Helen Lemuel. And many times, a lot of people focus on Helen and think that Helen was the one that wrote it. Helen was a lady that, the reason why she wrote the song was she was blind. She had, her husband left her when she was blind. And he then, um, and she was just, every time anyone asked her any question, she had this mind, how are you? I'm okay where it counts. That was always her answer. I am good where it counts. And one day she picked up a pamphlet written by this lady called Lilia's Torta. Now, Lilia's was very impressive to the point that the day, the day before, when I listened to this, I watched a movie on her life just to just read up on this lady. This lady was born into a wealthy family, wealthy London family. She had everything and she had talent. Even the greatest art critic at that time said to her that you, uh, you could be the greatest living um, painter that England had ever seen. He was very frustrated with her because what was, what was Lilias doing? Lilias would go, will go and look at the prostitute in Victoria Street, she'll, a station, she'll go and take care of the stairs, she'll set up restaurants, set up um, for women so that women would not have to eat outside on the pavement. She would go, at that time was when D.L. Moody was there with the Bible Society. She would go and listen to them. And Rushkin was so frustrated with her saying, why are you doing this? You have talent. You can be the greatest. But Lilia said, no, I want to follow Jesus. So she applied to go to Algeria for missions. And, but as with those days, when they applied, they do medical tests and they said, you're too ill to go. Lilia took her money with two friends and still went. She set up something that is still called Arab missions till today. She stayed, she died in Algeria at the age of 75. She stayed there. She evangelized to the people. She spoke to women and children. So a lot of our art is just in, you'll see them in pamphlets. She used her delicate art in pamphlets. Her art was just used in her journal. Nobody got to see her art until 1980s when someone decided to write about her and they knew about her. But she was just focused on Jesus. That's all she wanted. She knew she had this talent, but everything was, I'm living in the light of eternity. I am living for Jesus. And she went to do that. So this, this um, turn your eyes on Jesus kind of shows, shows what, it, what, what happens when you are unified. And with this, turn your eyes on Jesus. Look upon his full face and everything on earth. All the 1,000 and something plus naira to the dollar will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. I just wanted to show you an extract from the 
poem just to show you how impactful it was and what she said. So, um, you know, the, the bits that I highlighted spoke about gathered life, focused lives, intent on one aim, Christ. It is all for all. She emphasized, and Satan knows well the power of concentration. Satan knows well the power of covenant. Satan knows well the power of agreement. Satan knows well the power of same mind, one mind, being like-minded, of unity. It's because this is what this one thing we do. What he does is he turns his energies to bring in side interests that will shatter the gaining intensity. That is what Satan does. But... Martha, the next one. But what he was saying, how do we bring things to focus in the world of optics? Not by looking at things that were dropped. Not by looking, but looking at one point, looking at Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Turning our full soul's vision to Jesus to look at him. So in the midst of things that are going on as we step into 2024, as we are looking that we are running out of wine, as we are looking that we are running out of things, as we are looking that my marriage is shattered, as we are looking at I don't have this baby yet, as we are looking at oh I'm not married yet, as I looking at our finances, we turn our eyes away from that and look full on the face of Jesus, having the same mind, being unified as a church, knowing that everything around us will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Just before, I, I, I mean, just to emphasize that the Lord was speaking to me about this, as I woke up, I read UCB's um, word for today. And the last sentence from the word for today said, when you keep your eyes on Jesus, you will make it in spite of the storm guaranteed hallelujah thanks for listening to this message from the hills church our mission is to love people connect with family and touch the world learn more on our website at www.ecclesiahills.org or email us at hello at ecclesiahills.org